Well, good morning. Thank you, Matt, for uh, the choice of hymns. Some of you probably uh, weren't familiar with the tune, but the words are actually very appropriate for the message this morning. Both hymns were, and we're actually going to refer to a couple of the things that are in those hymns um, in our message. So we have, as Matt mentioned, uh, we are starting a new book of the Bible, 2 Corinthians. We've just completed 1 Corinthians, and we're going to uh, tackle 2 Corinthians next. So if you could turn with me uh, in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And before we begin reading it, I um, have a couple things to say. First of all, if we can get the uh, picture up there, how many agree with this? Okay, Life is not fair. Life is not fair. So we say that. It's a phrase we use, and it's um, a lot of times in life when issues hit us or things come into our lives, we say, you know, it's just not fair. It's not fair. Or we say, instead of saying it that way, we say, why me? If you've ever lost a race or lost a game like I did last night, if you've ever been passed over for a job promotion, if you have ever failed a test that you studied so hard for, if you've ever been overlooked or unappreciated, if you have ever suffered unjustly, if you have ever been lied to, if you have ever been betrayed or ridiculed or suffered abuse, or if you've suffered some debilitating illness or injury, if you have been mistreated, mocked, slandered, if you've been hurt by ones you loved, if you have seen the apparent success of everyone else and you feel like you are a failure, if you have been rejected by those who are close to you or falsely accused, then you know firsthand that life is not fair. And if you feel that way, you're not alone. When I look at the scripture, I think to myself, why did a righteous man like Job suffer so much? Why did a godly apostle like Paul suffer through his whole life and ministry? Why do Christians suffer? Why are they persecuted when it seems that the ungodly um, prosper? When you see chapter 37, uh, Psalm 37, David starts out the psalm by uh, telling himself and us not to let the prosperity of the wicked trouble us. But it troubles us when we see that we seem to be doing what is right and righteous and, and are hurting for it, are suffering for it, and ungodly people seem to sin all they want and get away with it, and seem to actually be enjoying it, and even seem to have the blessing of God in doing it. You ever see that? Asaph was also troubled in Psalm 73. He was troubled by the prosperity of the wicked. And endless articles and even entire books have been written about why bad things happen to good people. The prophet Jeremiah was among those who was deeply troubled by the prosperity of the wicked. His life was threatened by evil men, 
And he was despised and rejected by his own family, by the town that he lived in, and by the entire country that eventually uh, went against him. And his natural thought was, why me? Why is this happening to me? And so Jeremiah, in chapter 12 of uh, his book, he writes this, Lord, you always give me justice when I bring a case before you. So let me bring you this complaint. Why are the wicked so prosperous? Why are evil people so happy? You have planted them, and they have taken root and prospered. Your name is on their lips, but you are far from their hearts. Life is not fair. So I'm going to begin my message this morning with a riddle. And I want to see if you can answer this riddle. And it was a riddle that God gave to Jeremiah in this same passage where he's basically crying to the Lord and saying, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why am I suffering when I'm seeking to do your work and your will? Why? 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 And this is how God answers him. See if you can understand what he's saying. Jeremiah If you have run with the footmen and they wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? Think about this riddle. If you've run with the footmen and they have wearied you, how will you contend with horses? It doesn't sound like much comfort, actually. But it's God who is comforting Jeremiah with these words. And he's saying essentially this, Jeremiah, you ain't seen nothing yet. If you think you're suffering now, you ain't seen nothing yet. The term footman probably refers to foot soldiers, infantrymen. And so the Lord is saying to Jeremiah that his current trials, what he's going through right now, are like fighting foot soldiers. And if he's feeling battle fatigue fighting foot soldiers, how will he stand up to an entire army on horseback? He says, that's what's coming. And you're weary now? And he says, and if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, how will you contend with the floodplain of the Jordan? In other words, if you're walking along the Jordan River, on the banks of the Jordan River, in a time of peace and prosperity and you're weary from it, you're not even getting your feet wet walking on the side. When the floodplain, when the spring comes and the Jordan overflows its banks and you're now facing a torrent of water, how are you going to deal with that, Jeremiah? But that's what's coming. So before we look at 2 Corinthians this morning, I want to look at the top 10 facts about suffering. Okay? Number one, All who desire to live godly shall suffer persecution. It's true. The Bible says that. If you want to live a godly life, you will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Number two, we should not be shaken by afflictions because the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 3, 3 and 2 Timothy 4, 5 that we are appointed to this. In other words, God saved us in part for this very ministry, that we would suffer or we would, we would be uh, afflicted and we are not to be shaken by it. Number three, 
Trials are meant to demonstrate the genuineness of our faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. In Job, he actually says that in the midst of his trials, he says, when I am tried, when, I am, uh, when, it, when this is finally over, I will come out as pure gold. And so when, a, uh, when gold that is impure is purified, it has to go through a heating process where all the dross is removed from it so that it comes out pure. So if you're in the midst of a trial or difficulties this morning, God is just taking away the stuff that doesn't belong. Number four, trials test our faith and endurance in James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Uh, James actually says to us that when we face trials, we are to count it all joy. Why? Because God is at work in your life. And so one of the evidences that God is at work in your life is that you're going through trials, that you're going through difficulties, because God wants to change our character to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Number five, another fact about suffering. We will face many afflictions. That's what we read in Psalm 34, 19. Number six, the Lord will never, no, never, never, no, never, and I'll keep saying that, never, no, never, give us more than we are able to handle. It says that in the scripture, and he's true. We may feel like he's giving us more. We may feel like we're at the breaking point, but he will never give us more than we are able to bear. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, uh, says this. You know, I was thinking about a verse, another verse like this, uh, this morning on the way here. The Bible says that he shall lead his flock like a shepherd, actually feed his flock like a shepherd. But the, the picture that is given in the scripture is, is that God is uh, walking among his people and he's talking about them as being sheep. And he's feeding his sheep and he's walking among them and, and the flock is following him. And it says he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gently lead those who are with young. So the pregnant sheep, he's more gentle with them because it's, it's, he doesn't push them hard because they can't take it. And then it says, and he carries the lambs in his bosom. It's a beautiful picture of how God looks at our lives, how God looks at you individually and says, okay, you can take this much. You can follow me. You can walk alongside. You can walk with me. Oh, but that believer over there, they can't take as much, so I'm going to gently lead them because they, that's all they can take. And the ones who stumble and fall, they're young, they're new believers or they're weak believers, he says, listen, I'll just gather you up and I'll carry you with me through your life. Okay? That's the tenderness and compassion of God in our trials. And he won't give us more than we can bear. Number seven, we will never face horsemen before we face footmen. Okay? It's an interesting passage in Jeremiah where the Lord is saying, look, I'm giving you this footman, this battle with footmen first. Horses are coming, but can you imagine if, if Jeremiah had been faced with the horses first, that battle? If he had been faced with the worst battle of his life up front, he would have been crushed. And, and the Lord prepares us for more difficult days or more difficult trials by giving us smaller trials, smaller difficulties first so that we might overcome those and then he gives us more. So 
He, you'll never face horses before footmen or the swelling of the Jordan before the time of peace. Number eight, the Lord will deliver us from all of our afflictions. I mentioned earlier Psalm 34, it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But in Psalm 34, 19, it says, but the Lord delivers us from them all. Okay? There's not a one that overlooks his notice, that he, that he overlooks. Every single trial in our life is designed by him specially for us, and he gives us the strength. He gives us the strength to endure it, and he will help us uh, and deliver us from all of our afflictions. Number nine, all afflictions are temporary. The Bible says that, that we are suffering temporary light afflictions. And you say, well, it doesn't seem temporary, and it doesn't seem light. It seems heavy and burdensome, and it seems like it's going on forever. But he says they're temporary, and they're light, because he compares it to what's ahead of us as believers, the eternal weight of glory. At the very most, you will suffer your entire life. And you say, well, that's, that's terrible. But it's temporary compared to eternity that's coming and the blessings that are coming from God there. And when we see in heaven and we look back at our experience on earth, we will say, yeah, it was light. It was temporary in comparison to the eternal weight of glory, the glorious things that God is going to do for us as believers and give to us as believers in heaven. And I would say in that sense, you ain't seen nothing yet. There is a tenth um, fact about suffering that we see in 2 Corinthians. And um, this list that I've given you is certainly not exhaustive. There's many more um, biblical perspectives on suffering and afflictions. But the next time we are tempted to say in our, in our trials, why me? Think back at what the Lord, uh, the purpose of the sufferings that the Lord is uh, giving to us. So the next reason is found in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. So let's read the, the section this morning. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ." Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation or of the comfort." 
So let's take a look. We're going to look at this uh, passage verse by verse. And the first two verses are Paul's greetings to the church. As you know, he's already written two letters. This is actually the third, although it's called 2 Corinthians. It's the third letter that he's written to um, the Corinthians. Timothy is with him. And it's written to the church of God, which is at Corinth. And really, it's to all of the believers in that region. Paul's usual greeting includes the reminder of God's grace, God's undeserved favor to sinners, and his peace that comes as a result of those who trust in him. And it's interesting that he uses that word peace because he's about to talk about storms. He's about to talk about suffering. And he says, listen, don't forget, God is a God of grace. He saved you. And he's given you his peace. Trust in him. Paul immediately focuses, and if you want to look in your Bible as we go through this real quickly, notice uh, that he's focusing on suffering in verses 4 through 9. And this is how he describes the situation. Verse 4, our tribulation. Verse 4, trouble. Verse 5, the sufferings of Christ abound in us. Verse 6, we are afflicted. Verse 6, the same sufferings which we also suffer. Verse 7, partakers of the sufferings. Verse 8, our trouble. Verse 8 again, burden beyond measure. And verse 8 again, burdened above strength. And verse 8 again, despaired even of life. Verse 9, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Well, he's talking about suffering. (laughs) It's pretty obvious. And God comforts us. This is number 10 on our list. God comforts us in our trials to make us comforters. In fact, somebody once said it this way. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable. He, makes us com- he comforts us to make us comforters so that we might comfort others who are suffering uh, in their own trials. Let's take a look at verse 3. In verse 3, Paul praises God for who he is. Who is God? He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is our God and Father too. Second, he says in this verse, he is the Father of mercies. That is, he is the originator or the source of all mercy. What What is mercy? When we recognize that we are in need and we cry out to God and he supplies that need, that is his mercy. The nice thing about his mercy is that we learn in the scripture that his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And when do I need mercies? I need mercies every day. I need his mercies every morning. And he supplies them for us. And he is the God of all comfort. And as we will see in this passage, God's comfort comes not only through his word to us in the scripture, but his comfort comes to us through people who have suffered. People that God has allowed to suffer so that they might might become comforters to us. And so that's where God's comfort comes, or how God's comfort comes to us. Verse 4, Paul praises God for what he does. He comforts us in all our tribulations. Second, he comforts us, or as he comforts us, he is making us something we weren't before. He's making us comforters. And third, God provides the necessary resources, his comfort to us, so that we can readily minister to others. It's an interesting uh, passage here, because really what it's saying is, God has a ministry for you. And every single one of you 
um, God is preparing for a very specific ministry to other believers, other people. And the ministry that he's preparing for you comes as a fruit of your suffering. So if you go through a certain uh, type of suffering, let's just say you've had a medical issue and you've gone through it and the Lord during that time has come alongside of you and has comforted you in a very real and palpable way, the reason that he's done this is so that you might minister to others who are going through it. That's your ministry. That's what God has intended for you and has in store for you. Let's say that you have been rejected by family and friends and that you have had a life of trouble this way. I'll tell you what, there are thousands upon thousands of people in the same condition that you're in. And God is preparing you for a ministry to people just like that. So when you're suffering, don't lose sight of the fact that God is actually preparing a ministry for you, to train you to be comforter, a comforter to others. And you say, well, I don't like the training. Well, let me ask you, in life, what can you do in life without some kind of training? Say you say to me today, listen, I, uh, I heard that there's a uh, Boston Marathon I want to run in. And uh, you know, I, I hear it's coming up uh, next year, so uh, I'm going to watch TV for the next 11 months. And the day before, I'm going to get new running shoes and I'm going to run the Boston Marathon. How do you think you'll do? <laughs> you might get down one block, all right? Those who, who do marathons train and practice and eat properly and sleep properly and get out and run and run and run and run and run. Why? Because if they're going to endure a marathon, they have to be prepared. Well, it's the same thing with ministry. If the Lord has a ministry prepared for you, you have to be prepared in the small things. Getting up out of bed, eating properly, sleeping properly, training for the ministry that he is giving you. So it's reasonable to assume that you must first run shorter distances before you can run a marathon. It's reasonable to assume that you must first learn notes on a piano or an instrument before you can play a concerto. Uh, it's necessary to finish high school before you can finish a college degree. And we say, yeah, you know, all these things make sense in the world or in practical things, but it's the same thing in spiritual things. God trains us in the smaller things, the little things, the little trials that come our way that seem so enormous to us, but it's to strengthen us for the trials that are to come and the ministry that he has for us. So you're in God's school. And before you can come alongside someone who is suffering and give them the comfort they need, you first have to go through suffering yourself. And you have to be comforted by God yourself. That's how God trains you to be effective in ministry. So when you experience a trial or a difficulty or um, something in your life that you're not particularly too happy about, it's at that time that God wants you to open your eyes and see what he's doing in your life. It's at that time he wants you to open your ears and listen to his word and the comfort that he is giving in your word. And he is giving you this comfort and it's like, we'll call it spiritual money, okay? The comfort that he gives you is meant for you to bank away and bank away and bank away. 
so that at a time of suffering, you're able to draw on that resource for your own life. But then when you see someone else suffering in the same way that you suffer, you say, oh, God gave me verses when I was in this condition that, that were so helpful to me, so meaningful to me, let me share them with you. And you're pulling or drawing from that bank. And I'll tell you something, that resource will never run dry, never. When you experience a trial, open your eyes, open your ears. Here are some of the examples of his comfort. We actually sang about one this morning. Um, in the song it said, he gives us songs in the night. It's during our darkest hours that God gives us songs in the night. Job 35.10. When we are defeated and we want to run away, we hear his words of cheer. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 46 verse 1. When fear grips our hearts and we are weak, it's, it's then that God comforts us with these words. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10. It's when we are despised and rejected and forsaken by friends and family and we're feeling all alone that we hear the words of the Lord, I am with you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. When you're feeling burned out in service, it's then that the Lord offers refreshment. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. It's when you cannot see how you will put food on the table, that you are comforted by the promises of God, that your heavenly Father feeds them. He's referring to the birds of the air. How much more will he feed you? Oh, ye of little faith. If you're persecuted for your faith, the comfort of God is that your reward is great in heaven. If you've been faithfully serving the Lord, but you're discouraged by lack of fruit, be comforted by these words. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. You have not escaped God's notice. Even when you say, oh, I, my life is just fruitless, it's empty. God has not forgotten, and he's not unjust. Perhaps you're just tired from all of the sin around you. Broken promises, lies, deceit, discouragement of unfaithfulness in your life or the lives of others. And the Lord's comfort is this, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Think about the Lord Jesus and what he did for you lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So the Lord will comfort us, first of all, through his word. That's where the comfort comes from. But the Lord will also comfort us through those who have already gone through trials in their life. And the comfort they received from the Lord is then shared with you. I'm going to illustrate this for you. My youngest sister, Joan, was diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease. And symptoms are that of lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. In her own words, this is what she said. As I began this new journey, 
I had to learn to quickly adapt to old flare-ups and the pain that would at times shoot through my entire body. On one particularly bad day, the pain hit so hard in my hips that I had trouble walking. I was literally in agony. It was one of those days where I couldn't seem to focus on moving forward with this disease in a joyful manner, and I began to feel sorry for myself. I was sitting in my office at work, she's actually a church secretary in Vancouver, feeling blue. A new friend of mine was volunteering at the church that day, and she said hello as I walked by and questioned why I was limping. And she says, I just brushed her off and indicated the pain in my hips was so severe, but don't worry, I'll be fine. An hour later, this other woman felt compelled to come to my office to really see how I was doing. I explained that the rheumatoid arthritis had hit my hips and I was having a hard time even moving. I said, I don't want to talk about my pain, so I quickly turned the conversation over to her health. And I asked her if she too had an autoimmune disease as she shuffles when she walks and looks like she's in pain. And she said, yes, I do. When I asked her what her story was, this is what she said. I was diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease and my kidneys are now at a stage four kidney failure. My sister gulped. She said, I didn't want a transplant, so I'm trying to stabilize myself so I don't have to go uh, down that road. I'm only a few numbers away from being on dialysis, but I'm not there, and I'm grateful to the Lord. But that's not all. I had cervical cancer twice, and I survived. And then I had a lump in my breast, but it was small and nothing to be concerned about. One day, without warning, my husband came home, and he said to me, I'm leaving you. The shock and the stress from that day took that small lump and almost overnight it grew to the size of an orange. The doctor wanted to remove it so I was given a surgery date, but first they had to check me out to make sure that I could handle surgery given my autoimmune disease. It was then they discovered that I had had a heart attack. And I remember the night, the pain was so crushing but I thought it was just from the stress of my marriage falling apart. I took a painkiller, I went to sleep, and I woke up the next morning. I lived through it. The surgery date came, the doctor opened me up, and saw that the tumor was cancer. And so he closed me up again. He felt it would be better to attack it with chemo. Two years of it. And then I had a partial lumpectomy after the chemo was over, but that wasn't the end either. The cancer went to the other side. I was offered more chemo and I said no. I instructed the doctor to take them off, both of them, double mastectomy. And as she finished up her story, she said, Joan, <laughs> I have tried to die so many times and I don't understand why God hasn't taken me why I'm still here. And God has been with her through the heartaches and trials of life, and he still has a work for her to do. And Joan said to her softly, she said, Debbie, you are still here because God knew that I needed you today. Right here, right at this moment. And I believe God sent you to my office because I needed to hear your story. And I've been very encouraged by you. 
and I need to stop looking at why me. Her eyes filled up with tears, Debbie's eyes filled up with tears, and she could hardly utter the words, thank you. I went on to explain that I was in so much pain I had fallen into the trap of feeling sorry for myself. And then God sent her to my office to encourage me and to give me hope that I can get through today. I am so grateful to God that she listened to his promptings to come to my office. And I stand amazed to think that I was one of the reasons why God has kept her alive through all of the years of sickness and pain to be an encouragement and a comfort to me. God has walked so closely with her on this long journey, and I know he will do the same for me. There is something that resonates in the heart of a person who is suffering when somebody else who has suffered like them comes alongside of them and is able to share with them uh, the experience that they have had and uh, the counsel or the comfort that God has given to them. And they can say to that person, I know exactly what you are going through. I am here to help. I am here to listen and to encourage you with the comfort that I have received from God. What comfort has God given to you in your darkest hours? It's not just for you. Spread it around to those who are going through similar trials. That is your ministry. That is your service. Tell others of how God has comforted you. Be their comforter. So verse 5 reads this, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. What this means is that the more we suffer, particularly the more we suffer for Christ, the more Christ comforts us. And his comfort to us is in proportion to our suffering. In verses 6 and 7, Paul illustrates how his afflictions were intended to comfort other believers. Um, And the same is true of us. It is in our trials and through our trials that God is training us to be comforters. If I'm afflicted, it's so that you might receive the benefit of the comfort that I have received. It's for your salvation, Paul says. It doesn't mean that you're going to get saved eternally because I've suffered and I share that comfort with you. But what he's saying is that your deliverance from the suffering or through the suffering is going to be aided and helped by me sharing with you the comfort that I have received from the Lord. So if you want to help people who are suffering and deliver them and save them uh, in their time of suffering then share with them what uh, the Lord has given to you. And then finally he says that I became an example to you really of how to endure trials. And so you see people who are in trials and they fail and they falter. And you see others who are triumphant and those who rely on the word of God and the comfort that he has given and share that comfort, they are an example to us of those who have suffered. You know, clearly the scripture gives us an example of that in the, in the hall of faith. We see men and women who suffered greatly but trusted in God. Tremendous encouragement that is to us. When you're in the midst of a trial, again, I want to emphasize this, that God is comforting you. 
It's encouraging to note that he comforts us in our trials. And so you're going through a trial, look for God's comfort. Take a note of it and, and use it um, with others who are suffering. I've told this story before, but for those who haven't heard it, it was a crisp, clear Thanksgiving morning, November 23rd, 1961, when a Christian pilot stared down the runway waiting for clearance for takeoff. All the pre-flight checks were done, and the signal was given, and he pulled back, and off he went. Felt the plane surge forward along the tarmac, and as he gave full throttle to the dual engines, the nose lifted off the runway, and the plane began to soar into the sky. Suddenly, and without warning, both engines quit on takeoff and the plane fell into the forest below. Crushing and jarring metal twisted through the trees and 108 gallons of high-octane fuel exploded on impact. The pilot was engulfed in flames, but miraculously, he got out of the wreckage, and as he got out, he was literally a human torch scrambling from the plane. He fell to the forest floor. Soon, Emergency personnel arrived and rushed him to the nearest hospital. Dr. Edward Hamaker, who was on duty in the emergency ward that day, described what he saw. He said his head was as big as a basketball. It looked as if someone had taken a marshmallow and left it in the fire too long. The prognosis was not good. He was burned beyond recognition. The doctors called his family to come to his bedside because they were convinced this was the end of his life. And his wife, Virginia, walked into the emergency room and took one look at the disfigured body and turned out to the hallway and cried, oh dear God, please don't let that be my husband. The pilot was also a uh, Christian singer. Prior to the accident, he had dedicated his voice and his talents to the Lord. How would this tragedy affect his voice after breathing in the scorching flames from the plane fuel. The doctors wheeled him into the emergency room, the surgery room, and all through one entire operation, he sang and sang and sang (laughs) through the whole operation. Here was a man who counted it all joy when he fell into various trials. Pilot and singer Merrill Womack survived the fiery plane crash, but would he survive the years of recovery. And this is what he says, when they worked on my hands, we went through a period of several ugly, home, uh, lonesome weeks. We just couldn't seem to come out of the depression. But in, sharing, but in the sharing of what God was doing in, in my life came the strength. I feel sorry for anyone who doesn't have God to lean on. We just couldn't have done it without the Lord. It took nearly 13 years and 50 surgeries to completely replace his face and his hands with skin grafts from the other parts of his body. And he literally looked like a patchwork quilt. Yet he says, if we could go back and blueprint our life, I wouldn't change a thing in it. Merrill Womack did not let his accident and his scarring stop him from serving the Lord. And he said, the Lord has allowed this in my life. He's comforted me in this. Now let me go and comfort others. And so he made a lifelong ministry of going into hospitals where he would meet up with patients who were suffering from horrible injuries, horrible diseases, 
and he would come alongside their bed and he would sing to them with the voice that God spared and tell them of the good news of how they could have their lives transformed because of the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They could have their sins forgiven and have, a new, have new life. He would comfort them with the comfort that he had received from the Lord. If you're facing difficult days, God will comfort you. That's his promise. Look for God's comfort. It's there. Do you know something that your suffering actually gives you the right to be heard? You know, when you come alongside of somebody who's suffering and you've never struggled a day in your life with anything, that person who's suffering is going to look up at you with jaundiced eyes and says, what business do you have telling me anything? What have you ever suffered in your life? But if you have suffered and, and have gone through trials in your life and you've come through triumphantly and have been comforted by the Lord and you come alongside of someone who is suffering and you say, you know what, I've been there. I know exactly what you're going through. Here is how God has comforted us. You have won a hearing with that person. What comfort can you give if you've never suffered? You've never suffered a day in your life? Not much. But no one could say that to Paul because he had suffered so much for the sake of Christ. And that's what we see next in verses 8 through 11. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead." who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Paul's sufferings were many. In this instance, Paul is referring to a time where he was so overwhelmed with suffering or a trial, perhaps even a beating that brought him a breath away from death, that he believed he would die. Some of my kids are nurses, and one of the duties of a nurse is to go into the room of a patient every day and ask them a question about their pain. And they'll say this, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your pain level today? And Paul says that it was beyond measure, and so it would not have been on that scale, 1 to 10. He would have had to have said 11 or higher because of the suffering that he went through. He said it was without me or beyond measure. His strength was sapped beyond human endurance, and with death breathing down his neck, he wondered if he would live or die. But he says, my trust was not in myself. My trust was in an omnipotent God who can raise the dead. There is no power like that power that raised Jesus from the dead. There is no power like that power that can raise us up out of our sickbed, out of our depression, out of our uh, suffering, out of our trials. That is the power of God. God will still raise him from the dead. Even He said, even if this results in my death, my demise, God is still going to raise me up and I will be with him for all eternity. 
In verse 10, Paul speaks of the fact that God delivers us from all our afflictions, past, present, and future. It says, God who delivered us from death, that's past tense, and that's probably during the riot in Ephesus, and does deliver, that is present tense. We can look back with Paul at times in our life when we have been delivered perhaps from near-death experiences where I mean, I think of a time when I was in a, in a boat that had a full bilge of gasoline and the engine was backfiring and sparking. Why that boat never blew and sent me into a sudden death, I don't know. But the Lord delivered me from that. The Lord has often delivered us from near death or accident or some trial. And what God did, did then as we look back at those times, we can be confident that God will deliver us from the trials we're now facing or will face in the future. And believers, I want to tell you this, even if you suffer the rest of your entire life and you die in that condition, there is coming a day when all sorrow and all suffering will be gone. And we will be delivered from it all through death and ultimately through the resurrection that he has promised to us. There is coming a day. In verse 11, we read a very gracious note that assumes that the Corinthians had all the while been praying for Paul and that, that his deliverance was as a result of their prayers. I hope that's true. But God heard them and answered them and delivered Paul. Many people prayed, and many people can now give thanks for the gift of deliverance, Paul is saying. Well, I think this is an encouragement to us as well that as we see other believers suffering, as we see them going through trials, that we come along and share the comfort that we have, been, we have received from the Lord, but also that we pray uh, diligently for them that the Lord might deliver them, that, that we might see answers to those prayers and be able to share in the joy of God's deliverance. I began my message with a picture. It said, caution. Life is not fair. But if I could change the words on that, it would say something like this, rejoice. God is fair. And whatever he allows to take place in our life, whether it seems like it's unfair or not, he is coming alongside of us to give us comfort, that we might have a ministry of comfort to others. I'm reminded of a story of an event I had a friend, and Howard had a friend, and some of you knew him. His name was Rob Luce. He was a 30-year-old man, loved the Lord, memorized over a thousand scripture verses, was in the prime of his life. And he had experienced um, cancer, and melanoma that had grown in his back, and the doctors did surgery, and they removed it, and they said, we think that we've got it all, and you'll be just fine. At 30, he entered into the discipleship intern training program for a year of intensive Bible study in September of that year. And by October, and he was running at that time six miles a day. He was an athletic kind of a guy as well. And uh, by um, October, he went back to the doctor and they said, Rob, we're sorry, but the cancer's back and it's back with a vengeance. And he declined very, very rapidly. And we prayed for Rob for a month that the Lord would spare him, that would not take him. But the Lord saw fit to take him. 
Rob, uh, as part of the training of the, pro the program, uh, the guys who go through it are given assignments to teach and to give devotionals and things like that. And Rob was scheduled for a devotional in February of the following year. And he said to me, um, Don, he said, I, I want you to bring a tape recorder to me. He says, I'm not, I, I may not be there that night. So he said, if I'm not there, I want to be able to share uh, a devotional with the saints. And so I brought him a tape recorder and it had a little microphone and a little switch on the microphone. And he was so weak and so um, in such a deep trial that he would turn it on and he would get out a word or two, not even a sentence, a word or two. And then he would turn it off and he would fall back to sleep. And then he would turn it on again and give another word or two and, and fall asleep. At the end of it all, he gave me the tape and I had a tape studio and I was able to splice the tape together, take out all the silent parts, and the whole thing made absolute sense. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. And in a, in a, essentially what he said was this, some of you may look at me and say, life is not fair. Why should a 30-year-old strong man loves the Lord, serves the Lord, um, why should a young man be faced with a trial like this? Life is not fair. And he said, you know, some of you look at it and say, what an inequity that a man like you should suffer like this. But he said, you know, I want to tell you the greatest inequity in life, and he paused, is that Jesus died for me. And it's right. The greatest inequity that has ever taken place in history is that Jesus Christ, one who is holy and just and perfect, should take my sins in his own body on the tree and pay and suffer for me on the cross and pay for my sins in full. That is the greatest inequity of all. That I might have life through his death, burial, and resurrection. Praise his name. I want to tell you something, that if God loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? God is not holding back what is good from us. He wants to bless and pour out a blessing for us. And it may include suffering. It may include suffering and trials which are designed by him for our good, for his glory, and for the benefit of others who are also suffering. But I will tell you in all of this that, that God is fair, and he will never let the righteous be forsaken. Never. If you want to look at a passage of Scripture this afternoon that will encourage you about the why and the why me and what is God doing behind the scenes. I would encourage you to read and meditate on Psalm 37. We're going to close this morning with a, with a song. Probably some of you have never heard it before. We'll, we'll play it. It's got a fairly catchy tune, so sing along with it, and then after I'll, I'll just close in prayer.
God's people pray by hospital bed I've seen them struggling for their daily bread Seen them standing at the grave of one who left us too young And I've heard them crying out for their wayward son But I've never, no never Seen the righteous forsake I've seen them with tears in their eyes Seen them with their hearts breaking I've seen them tested and tried Seen them with their face shaking But I've never, no never Seen the righteous forsaken It seemed like there was no hell in sight Seen them when it seemed that life was nothing but night But in the eyes of heaven Something else was going on They may have been all by themselves But they were never I've seen them with tears in their eyes Seen them with their hearts breaking I've seen them tested and tried Seen them with their face shaking But I've never, no, never Seen the righteous forsaken I've seen them with tears in their eyes Seen them with their hearts breaking I've seen them tested, seen them tried Seen them with their face shaking But I've never, no, never I've never, no, never No, I've never, no, never Seen the righteous forsaken We thank you for the fact that you do allow us to suffer and to um, go through trials and difficulties. Lord, we want to have the joy of the Lord in this. And we thank you so much, Lord, that through it all, that you will never, never forsake us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Thank you, Lord, that during these times of trials and, and sorrows that you are training us and teaching us that we might have a ministry to others who are also suffering 
We pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear the comfort that you're giving to us, that we might be able to share that with those who are also going through difficult days. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, come alongside of us this week. I think of some who are this day suffering and hurting, and pray that you might, in a very special way today, give them the comfort of God that they seek. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.